All right. So my name is Daniel. If you haven't met me before, I'm 20 years old and I get the privilege of speaking with you today because my dad, Pastor Mike, is in Jamaica today. So we're going to be uh, going over a sermon in the series, A Closer Look. And this has been uh, a series where we've been diving in deeper on popular verses, trying to get a better understanding of these passages. We started with John 3.16, verses like John 10.10, last week Ephesians 2.8. And we've been going over those verses and looking to see if we have an accurate understanding, how we can get a better understanding. And today we're going to find that we might not have the, the right understanding of the verse we're going to talk about today. And we're going to be talking about Philippians 4.13. Now, I don't know why, but I can't recall a sermon that I've heard on this verse. I've heard thousands of sermons in my lifetime. So I don't know if it just wasn't memorable or if nobody preaches on this or what, but I have never, I, I just can't recall a sermon on this verse. So I'm really hoping that this, that this is memorable in some way for you guys today. We'll be talking about Philippians 4.13. I looked it up. And I found a couple different places, two or three places that said that Philippians 4.13 was the fourth most looked up verse in the, in the Bible, like BibleGateway.com, a couple different places. So there's a good chance that you've heard this verse before. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. You may have heard this in a different version. You know, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. A couple different versions like that. In high school, I wrestled and played tennis. That combination you wouldn't really see very often. But I remember I uh, really loved tennis and, and wrestling, and I love sports, I love football, and I often hear this verse used right before a big match or a big game, and does this verse mean that you will win every game through Christ who strengthens you? Can anyone become an Olympic athlete just because they are a Christian and believe this verse? Many people use this verse to try justifying somewhat impossible feats, and I'm not going to be able to become an Olympic sprinter just because I try to claim this verse over my life, right? Now, some people have been given special talents and abilities by God, but that doesn't just mean that you can abuse this verse just for any selfish desire that you have. Now, I remember way, way back, like two years ago, I was praying and I thought, you know what would be so cool? I just thought wisdom was just the coolest thing. So I was like, all right, I'm going to start praying for wisdom over my life. So I started praying, you know, and did a full hands thing. I was, I remember I was in my room by my bed. I was like, all right, Lord, give me wisdom. And I kind of expected just kind of like some maybe light coming from heaven and a oh, kind of moment, but that didn't really happen. And so then the next night I went and I prayed, give me wisdom. And I just tried to grit my teeth and make it happen. And I kind of thought that I'd just receive all wisdom for every situation just kind of there in that moment. But then I kept praying and praying and praying. Every night I would pray this and I found a half a year later that I had actually received quite a bit more wisdom. Now, I couldn't just claim this verse over my life and say, you know what? I'm going to receive all wisdom for every situation that I will ever have in my life right here in this situation right now and claim this verse over that. I tried that, <laughs> but it didn't work. But when we ask for that wisdom over time, we can receive that, right? So sometimes we can kind of claim this verse over our lives in, in kind of a, a wrong way. And so this verse is often taken out of context because it uses something called hyperbole. Now, hyperbole, it's an exaggerated statement. 
Hyperbole is an exaggerated statement. I want to look at Psalm 6-6 as well. This is another example of an exaggerated statement, something that's kind of over, overplayed to draw attention to itself. Psalm 6-6. I love this verse. It's so great. I'm worn out from groaning all night long. I flood my bed with weeping and drench my couch with tears. So if you take this verse absolutely literally, then King David here is actually like, he would have to be like gushing like tears out of his eyes in order to flood his entire bed with tears, right? I mean, that's kind of ridiculous. So if you look at that and drenching his couch with tears, it would be totally ridiculous to take this verse absolutely literally, right? But we know what this verse means. If we take this and we actually look for the real meaning, then it means that King David was, was pretty sad during this time and he cried a lot but he didn't literally flood his bed with tears every single night. So that means that just in that same way, Philippians 4.13 is also using hyperbole. I can't become an Olympic athlete just just because I want to and just try to claim this verse and and have that because Christ uh, strengthens me. God has given some people gifts to, to do those things, but if you don't have those gifts, then you can't just claim this verse over your life just to be able to do whatever you want. If you want to be able to fly, you can't just claim this verse and then go jump off a cliff. Please don't do that. So don't take this verse absolutely literally. We're going to look at what this verse actually means. And let's look at the, the context for this verse. Philippians is written to the, the church in Philippi. And when this church was founded, you can read it in Acts chapter 16. And Acts chapter 16 is a story of Paul and Silas. They're going around to a few different places and Paul and Silas go to one place and God says, no, don't go there. And then they go to another place and God says, no, don't go there. I would think that would be really frustrating because God was telling them, no, don't go there after they were already there, which I would think is wildly inefficient. But then all of a sudden, one night, Paul has a dream that he needs to go to Macedonia. And once he goes there, there aren't very many Jews there. So they find some, some women by the, the river and they kind of start the church in Philippi there by that river. And so then Paul is speaking there. And then there's this slave girl who's demon possessed that is causing all this, this havoc everywhere and is a huge distraction. And while they're doing that, finally, they decide to cast the demon out of this girl. And then it makes all these people mad. Everybody's frustrated. The whole town just doesn't like Paul and Silas. So they have them severely beaten and thrown in in prison in the deepest, darkest cell, which is a horrible situation. And now I would think that Paul and Silas would be incredibly frustrated at this point. I don't know about you guys, but if God was telling me where to go and he told me no after I got to the place and then I went to another place and another place and he kept telling me no after I went there, I would have been like, well, why didn't you just tell me from the beginning? I mean, even that would just be frustrating. But now, since the whole town is mad at them, when they're in the perfect will of God, going where God told them to go, now they're in a situation where it's like their whole ministry could be taken down now. The whole ministry there in that town of Philippi might not survive. So they're in the deepest, darkest cell with open wounds in, a, in horribly uncomfortable situations. And now they decide at midnight to begin worshiping God. So they're worshiping and praising God in the midst of this horrible situation. And God is so pleased with them that he just shakes the whole place. I imagine just like a snow globe, he just shakes it. And so all the prison doors fly open, the chains fall off of them. It's this amazing situation. And then the the jailer, since, I mean, if you're a jailer and all the prisoners are about to escape, that's a terrible situation. So the jailer decides that it's more dignified to, to kill himself. 
And so Paul stops him right before that. The jailer and his family get saved. The Bible doesn't say this, but I imagine many of the prisoners were, were saved as well. And so the story in Acts chapter 16, why I wanted to go over that was because the most defining moment, or maybe the most defining moment in the founding of the church in Philippi is Paul's ability to persevere with a good attitude despite less than ideal circumstances. Paul's positive perseverance sparked the beginning of the church in Philippi. So this church in Philippi maybe would have never really even took off or never been sparked into this revival if Paul had just decided to not have a good attitude while he was in jail. If he had decided, well, after he had been beaten and thrown into jail and after all these terrible things happened, if he had just decided to not sing, to not praise God, then this whole thing in Philippi would not have started. So we wouldn't have the book of Philippians or we wouldn't have that story in Acts chapter 16 because he wouldn't have made that choice. And that's all it took was that choice of contentment, which is an amazing thing. So we see that in the starting of the church in Philippi, the people he is writing to in Philippians, the defining moment in his ministry is that choice of contentment. And they saw that. So then later when Paul is actually writing this book to Philippians, he is actually in jail while he was writing this. So not a good situation again, but he is writing this and it's, it's called one of the one of the most joyous books in the Bible. So let's look at the the local context here in Philippians 4, 4 through 13. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all the Lord is near. Verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am need for I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Now, if you look at these verses, I don't put two and two together like, oh yeah, Philippians 4.13, that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me is going to be after this verse. Because this verse is talking about knowing the secret of being content. And Paul has had situations where he's been severely beaten, thrown in prison, and his whole ministry seems like it's going to be derailed. And he's had times where he's had plenty, where he hasn't been thrown in jail. And the ministry just flourishes like immediately. So he's had both of these situations of great times and low times of these, these mountain times and these valley times. He's seen both situations. And he says that in any situation, whether he's on the mountain or in the valley, he has learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Man, don't you want to know what that is? I mean, who here wants to have that joy and peace from God? Oh, we have all these great things and these great toys, the boat and the car and these things that'll make you happy. And then all of a sudden they, they realize that, you know, these things aren't making me happy. So this verse is for anybody that's going through a trial right now, going through a struggle and are finding it very difficult to find that happiness. But it's also for those people that seem to have everything, but don't know what to do because they still haven't found happiness. It goes both ways. So let's read verse 13 again. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. 
So the context here for this verse is not that we can just do whatever we want through our own selfish desire and just claim this and and get to do what we want, but this verse is talking about contentment. It's talking about how to find joy and peace in our life, whether we are well-fed or whether we are hungry. You guys want to learn the secret? I believe the secret is in the preceding verses. So let's go back to verse four. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. If the Bible says something one time, is it important? If it says it twice, that's pretty important too. So worshiping God is very, very important. This is saying to worship him when it's inconvenient, when it's difficult, or when it's easy. It says rejoice always. If you're in a trial, rejoice. If your life is going great, rejoice. Practice thanking God and worshiping God in every situation, whether you feel like it or not. This is really, really important. When I think of this, I think, you know, those vow things people say at weddings, you know, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness, in health, to love and to cherish till death do us part. You know, and they say these things, and then all of a sudden, you know, when the, when the hard times come, the butterflies go away, they don't really feel like it anymore. And so a lot of times when people give these vows, really what they mean is, yes, I'll have you from this day forward to have and to hold for better, for richer, for health. And they don't think about that, that other scenario with the, the worse and the poorer and the sickness. And a lot of people mean that. And now I, I know, you know, marriage is hard and I, you know, I don't fully know that yet, but <laughs> at some point I imagine I will. And it's not about just doing that when you feel like it. It's not about, you know, loving your wife, respecting your husband or whatever. When you feel like it, when it's in the good times, when you're up on the mountain, it's about doing it in the valleys. When you don't feel like it, when everything in you says, no, I don't want to do that. It's about going out and actually still doing that. It's the same way with our relationship with God. A lot of people, when they pray that prayer, like, Lord, forgive me. I love you. You know, they pray that prayer, but then all of a sudden they mean, you know what? For better, for health. And for rich, they mean that. And they don't think about the the hard times and those valley times. And all they want to commit to God is their high points. Now, it seems to me like there's two, two kinds of Christians. The Christians that are close to God during the good times and during the bad times, they kind of fall away. Or the Christians that are, that are not close to God in the high times, they just kind of rely on themselves, and then they, they rely on God in the hard times. We need to rely on God in both situations, whether something is going well or it's not. So there's two ditches to this, and I uh, heard a sermon by Scotty Gibbons while I was at camp. I thought it was an amazing sermon, and he said this, hardship doesn't make you lose your commitment to Christ. Hardship reveals your commitment to Christ. So it's going to show whether you really meant it or not, whether you meant for better or whether you meant for better or for worse. So when that hardship comes, it shows us if we're truly committed to God. And if you never went through anything difficult, how would you know? How would you know if you're really committed to God? So we need to worship God and trust him in all circumstances. Now, worship affects you. All music affects you. Media affects you. Movies affect you. Um, I heard this from Pastor Kirby. He's our district youth director. I thought this was awesome. And many times, you know, I talk to students my age or, or younger or whatever, and I talk to them about, you know, music and, and different things. And they say, oh, well, that, you know, that stuff doesn't really affect me. And I thought he said it in such an amazing way. I imagine you've seen maybe a scarier movie or a horror movie or something like that. If you've seen that, or maybe you know somebody that has, after you do that, why then do you check under your bed for a monster? 
Or do you turn all the lights on, right? Because it affects you. And when you pour that into you, then like that fear gets into you. And you're like, oh my gosh, there might be a, a monster in my closet or something like that. So even, even movies like that affect us. So when we pour all that stuff in, we have to watch what we put into ourselves. Uh, I remember... I was having a really tough time with somebody. It was a really frustrating situation. We just weren't getting along. And I went for a car drive, as I often do. And the first thing I did was I just turned on some really depressing music. Because that was the mood I was in. And I put this music on and just kind of sulked in it and whatever. And this is what a lot of young people do nowadays. It's when you feel that feeling, all of a sudden, everything, every thought, every action, everything you listen to, then has to model that feeling. That is a horrible, horrible strategy. I realized after doing that, that, oh my word, this is getting worse. I'm getting more sucked in, more frustrated, more angry, more sad. And so then I decided, you know what? I had the the realization, the revelation in that moment that, you know what? If I give this to God and I start worshiping God, I'm going to feel way better. If I can just trust God with this and give it to him, I'm going to feel way better. And it feels so difficult in the moment. In the moment, it feels like, you know what, I want to I wanna keep all this depressing music and, and all this, this depressing mood going, but you have to have the strength to fight it. And the thing that broke it for me was just realizing, you know what, the Daniel 15 minutes from now is going to thank me so much that I did that. So I turned that worship music on, I, I started worshiping God, I gave it to God, and then my whole demeanor changed, my attitude changed, my actions changed. So these, this music, the worship, media, movies, whatever it is, they all affect us in some way. Rejoice in the Lord always. This is really, really important. And when you pour that into yourself, when you're having that rough time, when you've got the depression, anxiety, or whatever it is coming up in you, that trial coming up in you, I want, when I'm having a rough time, my fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love coming up in my heart. Isn't that what you want when the rough times come and, the, and those, those things come? I want to have been so much in worship and prayer that, you know what? This fear, this depression doesn't stand a chance when I stand in his love. I want that song coming up in my spirit. Philippians 4, 5. Let your gentleness be evident to all the Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. This is the ninth most looked up verse on Bible Gateway, by the way. So you guys are getting like a double here. Anxiety and depression are linked together. So you can't be content if you're full of anxiety. Obviously, like if you're depressed and sad and whatever, you're not content. That's fairly obvious. But if you're worrying about everything, if you're imagining every single worst case scenario, you can't be content either. So we have to deal with both anxiety and depression in this scenario. This verse presents the so helpful command. Do not be anxious. Yay, that helps. So what is the key? We see the, the next key. So the first key is to rejoice always, to worship in every scenario. And so then the next key, this is very linked to the previous one, but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. It's very important to pray as well in every situation. Uh, prayer and worship are very linked to me. I can't pray and not worship or worship and not pray. They're like the same thing for me. I don't know if it's like that for you or not, but they're very linked. I'll, I'll worship for a little bit. I'll pray. I was, you know, during the worship time that we just had, I'll be doing that. And the very important thing here is the Thanksgiving part. Now they've done studies on this with giving thanks and it. It actually, it breaks depression off of people. And I can't go far into those studies today because we don't have time, but this is very, very important. Giving thanks to God is so, so important. So we need to make sure that we do that. And if we present 
present our anxieties to God and trust him, then much of what we worry about will go away. And we have to trust him and present our anxieties to him. If we present our anxieties to him, but don't trust him with it, well, then that doesn't really help, right? Has anybody been in a tough situation and somebody just tells you, I'll just trust God. Sometimes I hear that and it's not the most like practical advice. Let me uh, break this down. I'm no doctor or counselor. I'm 20 years old, so take this with a grain of salt. But I've heard much of this from people much smarter than me. Here's how anxiety works from what I've seen. You can either practice anxiety or you can practice peace. So our life is filled with a series of habits, right? A habit is when our body is better at doing something than our mind is. So if you brush your teeth a whole bunch of times, you don't have to think about it anymore because you've, you've done it enough times that you're not thinking about how you individually scrub each tooth and you're moving your hand back and forth, brushing your teeth and whatever, or flossing or whatever. Um, I hope you brush your teeth enough times that it's a habit. <laughs> and so this also happens in sports. You know, somebody shooting a basketball um, in the NBA, they don't think every time, you know, all right, left foot here, right foot here, hand up, ankle, knee, elbow, wrist aligned, follow through. You know, like they don't think that every single time that they shoot a basketball, right? Because they've done it so many times that they can just do it. They don't think about it. So our body is actually faster and better at doing it than our mind is. It's faster because if you thought about it every single time you did it, you'd be pretty slow at it. So these habits build up in our lives. And so just like an NBA player doesn't have to think about that, it happens in the same way with our anxiety. When we rehearse previous trauma in our mind, it actually conditions ourselves to then look at worst case scenarios in the future. So when we, we have something going on, maybe you've got a piano recital or something like that, you imagine yourself, oh my gosh, what if I, if I miss this note? I'm going to miss this entire thing. And then you start rehearsing like all these bad things you're going to do. And the problem with that is when we practice anxiety, our body doesn't know the difference between what is happening in reality or what is happening just in our mind. It doesn't know the difference. And you guys can look up studies on that if you want. There's numerous ones out there. Our body doesn't know the difference between it just happening in our mind or happening in reality. So when we rehearse those things over and over again, we're actually living the worst case scenario out over and over again. And so when this happens, our body then gets so used to that anxiety that when we have a normal day and we have nothing to have anxiety about, our body's like, what in the world? We need to be having anxiety right now. There's nothing to worry about, but you need to have anxiety. This is the normal thing. And so you've conditioned your body now to have that anxiety or have that depression or whatever it is. And so when you have nothing to worry about, you start worrying about things. That's horrible. And I've noticed that in my life too. And if you guys can just catch that concept right there, I mean, that'll change your entire life. How many know it's, it's difficult to cover contentment in one morning? So realize that when you dwell on those things in your mind, that you're forming that habit, just like brushing your teeth, hopefully like brushing your teeth, or shooting a basketball or something like that, you're forming that habit, and then when you have nothing to worry about, your body just wants to have that anxiety. I've had numerous times where after something's over or the next day or something, when I have nothing to have anxiety about, I all of a sudden still have all this anxiety. So then uh, let's go to Philippians 4.8. This is a huge verse. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, that's a lot of stuff. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Now, this is a, this is a key, key verse, okay? So, so far, we've got rejoice, right? Rejoice in the Lord always, even when it doesn't feel comfortable. We should pray, give thanks in those situations as well, even when it doesn't feel comfortable. 
And so this is what I found to be the most important key for me. This meditating on God and switching the way that you think has been the biggest key for me so far. So that's the next one. Meditate on God. This process of meditating on God is so vital, I can't even begin to tell you how much you need this. So stop focusing on your situation. Focus on your God. Here's my two tweetable quotes for the day. Okay, so here's the first one. Don't put your focus on the trial. Put your focus on the one who can get you through the trial. The second one, stop focusing on what the world has done to you and start focusing on what your God has already done for you. So when we put our focus on the trial and you keep thinking about all these terrible things that are happening to you, well, no wonder you're depressed because that's all you're thinking about. You're thinking about the very worst part of your life. You're thinking about the 5% that's horrible and not the 95% that's good. So if you focus on all the the horrible things going on in your life, well, you're going to be depressed and you're going to have anxiety because that's all you're thinking about. That second quote, stop focusing on what the world has done to you and start focusing on what God has already done for you. I mean, think about the joys that we already have. I mean, the God of the universe, the eternal God that wouldn't have to die, that doesn't die, that doesn't ever end, went to the cross to die for you. I mean, if you think about that for long enough, that's, that's a ridiculous thought. That the God of the universe would, would die for a, a mortal being like I can't even comprehend that. Like the amount of love that God has for us. I mean, now we get to go to heaven. He didn't have to do that. He could have just hung out in heaven by himself. He could have done that. He's God. He can do what he wants. But he decided that he wants us there. And that is an incredible thought. So when those horrible times come, think about that. Think about what God has already done for you. This is so important. So when you're tempted to feel down about your life and think about just the part of it that's not good, remember and focus on Jesus going to the cross for you. When you start to feel anxiety, start thinking about the peace that you are going to have in heaven one day. When you feel that hope is lost, think about how strong your God is. When you feel like you're alone, think about how much he loves you. When you feel insecure, remember how your God views you. When you feel worthless, think about how much your God values you. This concept, it'll change your life. Just a couple minutes I want to spend just kind of talking about my experience with this. Ever since I was a kid, probably starting in middle school, I'd, I'd have a couple day stretch where I'd be down and you couldn't pull me out of it. My mom tried to give me these hobby things to do, building little snakes out of weird things and all this stuff. None of it, none of it would pull me out of it. And uh, I was, I was kind of able to deal with it uh, at, at some point, but then it started coming back when just this last fall in October, I started noticing that I was, I was more foggy and my, my brain couldn't focus on things. And I had a hard time putting thoughts together, thinking of, thinking of things and the words I needed. And I was starting to become more and more tired. I was sleeping a lot, but sleep didn't help at all. We went to see a doctor in November. I had some blood drawn, but that, you know, nothing way out of the ordinary was found. I remember when I preached last December on that uh, Saturday, we were going over spiritual gifts and I was preparing for and writing the sermon. And while I was doing that, it was just, it was so hard to think and put that together. I had procrastinated it well enough to, uh, to that Saturday. And while I was doing that, I was going to, I was going to go practice that. And I went to do that and I just could not focus enough to be able to even practice it. And I wasn't, I wasn't able to practice it. So I decided to go into the weekend then with what was probably a, a, just a portion of a sermon. And so I started preaching it on Saturday night and I looked up at the clock 
it was about 7.20, which means that there was like 25 minutes left in the sermon and I was done with everything that I had, which is a wonderful feeling. And so in that moment, I was like, oh my gosh, I got to find something like to talk about. And so I had Isaiah, Isaiah 6 pop into my mind and we went over that. That filled kind of the, the rest of the time up. But I remember coming home from that night, that Saturday night, just feeling horrible. Like I didn't have a complete thought throughout the entire sermon. Like I couldn't focus during it and feeling just terrible. Like I didn't want to preach another sermon again, much less preach twice the next day. And just feeling just so despairing and felt so lost. And I was really ready for Jesus to come back that night. That would have been fantastic. I would have been so overjoyed. But then the next morning came, Jesus didn't come back. I still felt horrible. I was foggy and tired. I, I, I felt like never preaching another sermon again. But nonetheless, I had to go up there. And before I went up, I was over there like I usually am. And I was just paging through my journal, looking at things. And I found a a quote that I had wrote to myself in the future. And it said, Daniel, don't you ever lose your awe for God. Don't you ever forsake him. I don't care how bad your life is a little blunt, but I don't care how bad your life is. Just as he is with me now, he is with you as well, giving you grace in the valley. So complete your race. I don't care how bad your life is. Just as he is with me now, he is with you as well. And that verse when I was over there was just like, man, I don't feel the presence of God at all. And I can't focus. I don't feel like I can do this. And just that message from my journal was like, you know what? I don't feel it, but he is with me and he is strengthening me and I can do all things. So I went up there and the next two sermons went way better than Saturday night. That message to myself just, just broke me. I kind of cried a little bit over there. And I realized that God wasn't about to just abandon me. He was going to help me through it. And so those services went better. But over the course of the winter, still the the fogginess and the tiredness and uh, several other things that I won't go into today um, just began to get worse and worse. On some days, I would be trying to write a youth group sermon and um, on a Wednesday, procrastinated well enough again. And I'd be trying to write it and I would just, I would get nothing, nothing. And I couldn't, I couldn't think. And so I had two or three times where I would go up here, I would pray and I would pray that God would give me the sermon because I had nothing to speak on. And, um, it went well enough, but it was so difficult to be able to prepare and so difficult to be able to, to do those things without the, the adrenaline from the crowd that, that would get me through it. And so this was all incredibly frustrating. I, I often thought if God called me into ministry, why would he decrease my effectiveness by letting me not be able to think and have no energy? I was confused because of this. I, you know, I'm an extrovert, but it was more difficult to hang out with people and everything was draining, whether it was work or whether it was fun, whatever it was, the next day I would just be just laid out and I would just stare into space. And oftentimes after times like this, I just go home and I, and I just stare for hours. And it was just like, the more I had fun, the more tired I would be the next day, which was a frustrating thing. I had a lot of anxiety. It it started to caused me to fall into a depression. I wondered if the disease would ever go away. When it came to any situation, I imagined the worst case scenario. I started practicing that anxiety and that habit built up. So even when I didn't have anything to have anxiety about, I was full of anxiety. I had never really dealt with anxiety before. A a couple of years ago, I, I had zero anxiety. And so now I'm tired, foggy, depressed, anxious, a couple other things. And then I went on vacation And while I was there, I still wasn't happy. 
because I conditioned myself to be depressed and anxious. And so while I was there, I, I still wasn't happy. And I thought, if I'm not happy here, then I will never be happy anywhere. And while I was there, I started thinking about my life and different things that I had been able to push through and was wondering, you know, what's the key to pushing through this? And I was thinking about, you know, different struggles with lust and porn and how I was able to beat that. And what I did was kick Satan out of my thoughts and took control of my mind and didn't let him have control of that. And so I didn't let myself dwell on it. So as soon as I'd think about it, I'd kick it out and I'd find something else to think about. Hopefully I'd, I'd find something, you know, I'd start picturing God, thinking about God, and that would, that would kind of take me out of it. And so I was able to beat that through that. And then I had my revelation that if God helped me kick out the lust, he can help me kick out anxiety and depression as well. I also realized that I didn't have to be defined by a feeling. So just because I start to feel sad does not mean that I have to let my thinking and my actions model after that. Just because I start to feel anxious does not mean that I have to let all of my thoughts be anxious. It's difficult to overcome the feeling, but it is possible. So this is what I did. I took Philippians 4.8 to heart. I decided that I was going to do this verse every single day. So I started off my day. I'd put earplugs or some music, some worship music on, something like that. And I would just start settling myself down. I'd sit down with the worship music in, earplugs in, and I would just meditate and think about whatever is noble whatever is true, whatever is right, whatever is pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy, I would think about that. And I would start my day. You can do it for just five minutes. Sometimes I I do 15 or an hour, whatever I felt like I needed. And I would do that to start off every day and your day, it goes way better. When you start your day off with God and modeling your thinking after that, Man, Satan has tried to take our minds from us. He wants to fill it with that lust and anxiety and depression and all these horrible things. But you can have your mind back. It doesn't have to be this this chaos every day. And so I decided that I would do that every day. And so when those, those things would start to spark up in me, I started to be prepared for it. So I realized that this is what would happen. I would wake up every morning. Then I would, I would gauge my energy levels. I would gauge how tired I am and how I'm feeling. And so when I was doing that, I would think, oh, I am tired again. And when I thought that, then those feelings would rise up. The depression, anxiety, and all those things, they would rise up just because of that one thought. And then the rest of my thoughts for the day would model after that feeling. So it started with just that one thought, but then that feeling would rise up. It escalates so quickly because it goes from just a a fact like I'm tired because I was tired. But then it goes from, oh, well, this is going to be a bad day. Oh, my whole life is terrible. And it just escalates into, you know what? Now I'm focusing on the the 10% of my life that's bad and not on the 90% that's good. And now I think my whole life is terrible just because I'm focusing on the part of it that isn't as good. So your trial may not go away doing this. Sometimes people just get healed and sometimes people don't. Sometimes you just have to keep dealing with these things. And the promise here in these verses that we were reading in Philippians 4 is that you don't have to go through this life with those trials, focusing on that and being depressed and full of anxiety. God has something more for each and every one of you. God has something greater. His purpose is greater. And so my challenge to you today is to prepare yourself every day to notice that phrase that's taking you down. For me, it was just the fact that I was tired. That was all it took. So I began to prepare myself to deal with these thoughts. And every time that happened, I would take myself back and think about me sitting in the arms of God. I would literally see myself sitting in in the arms of God. And it would bring me back. It would calm myself down. And once you do this over and over again, you start to break that habit. So this is the secret. Whether you feel like it or not, you've got to rejoice. 
Whether you feel like it or not, you've got to give thanks. You've got to worship. You've got to pray. Whether you feel like it or not, you've got to put your thoughts in the mind of Christ. You have to live in his spirit. And I don't know what trial you have. It may be more difficult or easier than mine. I haven't been healed of mine, by the way. The point is not to compare it our, our trials. The point is to care for each other through the trial. The trial may not end for you, but if you decide that you are going to fight your trial with worship, prayer, meditation on God, then no infirmity can take away your contentment. Let's read 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 10 real quick. But godliness with contentment is great gain. Verse 7. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. So this verse, I think the deeper meaning of it is that it's warning you against putting your purpose into money or into these perishable things. So the last key I'm going to give you today is to find your purpose. If you guys don't have a purpose, then these other things I mentioned don't really matter. You have to find your purpose. And when you root that in Christ, you have great gain. Put it back to first six. Godliness with contentment is great gain. So many people try to root their great gain, root their purpose in money or in honor, in glory, in these great achievements, in fame. They try to root their great gain in that. But that, that money, that fades away. People can take money from you. People can take glory or honor from you. People can take fame from you. That doesn't last, but this great gain, when we root it in Christ, cannot be taken from us. Because our mind, it's all up to us. We can take our minds back. We can take our joy back, our peace back. And we can root our great gain because that contentment does not have to be rooted in our outer circumstances. Our inner reality, our inner kingdom does not have to be defined by our outer circumstances. We can root that great gain in something greater. And that godliness, that choice to to do the right thing by God, to live for him, to find your purpose in him, that's all up to us. Nobody can change that. Nobody can take that away from you. So don't go off of what you feel. Go off of what you know. And this is what you know, that you are made in the image of God, that you are a child of the king, that you are made for a greater purpose, that you aren't just here and you're going to fade away into dust, but you have a job to do here. You have a calling and you have great gain right here, right now. So if you have depression, anxiety, if you've got some addiction problem, God wants to deal with that here tonight. And he may just break that off of you. And for some of you, it's going to be a process. For me, it was a process, but God has great gain. He's got that contentment here for you. So my challenge to you is when you're hurting and feel like giving up, remember to fight your battles with worship, prayer, and thanks to God. Remember to meditate on him. Start with just five minutes devoted to thinking on his goodness. Don't give into the feeling. As I just said, don't go off of what you feel, go off of what you know. Philippians 4.13 doesn't just allow you to win in every sport or whatever it is just because you want to, but it allows you to have contentment whether you feel like you're winning in life or not. So this isn't talking about some sport or having the ability to fly or some crazy thing. But you know what? I can beat depression through Christ who strengthens me. I can beat anxiety through Christ who strengthens me. I can beat this addiction through Christ who strengthens me. That's this promise. Lord, I just thank you for every person here. And I just pray right now, Lord, that you would touch and continue to touch the hearts of every person in this room. God, that your Holy Spirit so thick in this place. Fill them up, Lord. Lord, that people would just 
be ignited for you and we would be a church, just a beacon of hope that you don't have to live with this depression or anxiety. You don't have to live with those things. Lord, I pray that every person in this room would just become a great testimony for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.